Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give. Okay, am I in the right spot? Yep, that works. Okay. I am so appreciative of ACF coming over to help today with my yard and with my electricity. Oh, I told you I was going to cry. I'm a single mom. I have 11 kids, uh, seven under 18. Uh, adopted them out of the foster care system. And my boys are five, six, seven, seven, eight. And it goes up. <laughs> I have a special needs kiddo. Uh, and life can get so overwhelming sometimes. And I question how I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> Why has God put all this on me? And it gets very overwhelming sometimes. And I'm just so humbled and blessed and appreciative that the church as a whole will come and help support uh, each other. You know, they say that your life on the outside reflects what's on the inside. And with so much trauma in our backgrounds and just this, everything being in chaos, it's just so much, it's just such a blessing to be able to have stuff in order and just not a mess so we can work on our emotional healings. Uh, yeah, so it's such an incredible blessing to have y'all here, and I really, really appreciate it. So, you went on YouTube and learned how to fix a leaky sink. Now you're an expert. That's cool. But now your mind is a fury of possibility. What else could you learn? What if you could fix a sink? And while you learn to fix a sink, you learn to control your tongue. That's not easy. And then, by controlling your tongue, you could learn to control your road rage. Then, by controlling your road rage, you could have more patience with your neighbours who are throwing junk over the fence into your yard. And now, with more patience, what if you could learn how to stop raging at your roommate for leaving dishes in the sink? And, and then, with less rage, what if that girl who said, nope, was now like, maybe? That would be really cool. Then, what if you learned to stop drowning your problems in Amazon purchases and started living on a budget? And what if, with less stress, better relationships, more patience, and a control on your tongue, you begin to see that God is actually real? Or you could just learn to fix a sink. This is a letter about your life from a man named James. It's the whole truth from the half-brother of Jesus. This is your masterclass. Well, good morning, ACF. Welcome to church. Let's celebrate being together. Today, I'm so glad to see you in the house, all, all of you online as well. If you're sitting on a river somewhere or watching from a lake somewhere, we hate you. No, we love you. 
We're glad that you're with us as well. Um, it is summer in Alaska, and I know that uh, everybody's schedules are crazy, but it's just a privilege. I was just last night, I was praying for you, praying for our time together this morning, and I was just reminded of how grateful I am to see faces, to see people, to see your smiling faces uh, here in the building, and so uh, really excited about that. Um, we are actually in a brand new series that started off last week called Masterclass, and we're going to get into that uh, text here in just a moment, but guess what? Father's Day is coming. Any dads in the room? We got some dads in the room. Okay. So we are going to celebrate the dads next week. And we're going to do something just to kind of celebrate the dads. We're going to do a competition. Every dad likes a little good competition. So we're going to be competing with the best dad rig. And so um, I don't know if you've got a sweet Volkswagen van. I don't know if you've got an old motorcycle or a car or just something. You can, I mean, John Deere lawnmower, whatever it is, I want you to bring it to church next Sunday, and I think they're giving out uh, prizes and gift cards to Cabela's and all kinds of cool stuff, and so uh, make sure you show up for that. We just want to celebrate uh, being a dad is hard, and uh, there's a lot of challenges with it, and uh, we love our dads at ACF, so make sure you come back for that next week. But we are in a series called Master Class, and if you don't know what a Master Class is, these are very popular right now. You'll get somebody who's uh, very skilled at something, and then they will, they will launch a Master Class. You can sign up for it, and you can learn learn from the best. Uh, you can learn how to succeed at whatever it may be. It may be painting, uh, it may be writing, it may be just some kind of cooking or whatever, random, random skill that you want to learn from the master. And so what we are doing is we are going to the book of James. We're spending the entire summer in the book of James, reading it together, studying it together. And, and we're actually using this as our master class. So James is bringing us to, to Jesus, to the ways of Jesus and saying, this is the way to win at life. If you want to master life, if you want to be a master at your day-to-day, what you need to do is go to the, the book of James. I mean, go to the Bible, obviously, but go to the book of James and, and hear these practical uh, applications of how to live your life. And so that's going to be really good. And so if you're brand new to Christianity or to the church, it's just a really great series for you to be jumping in on as well. And so uh, we also, last week, uh, you might have gotten one of these. We talked about these reading plans. So for the whole summer, I'm not going to go through all the details, but we are uh, challenging you to read through the book of James, all of your extra reading is in this reading booklet. And, and the whole idea is that you would, you would take this with you, that you take what we're talking about with you uh, into your daily life, into your workplaces, uh, pick this up at lunch or whatever it is that you're doing, and continue to read this text. It's going to get in your soul. It's going to challenge you. A friend of mine last week, he, he took the challenge of memorizing the book of James. And he was like, man, I've read the book of James for years, but I, I figured something out that when you have to memorize it, you have to figure out what it says. Like you actually start to pay attention to the words and it, it means something to you when you're memorizing the text. So that's the power of memorization. So I want to challenge you to stay with us in that uh, as well. And so if you, if you don't remember and you're just kind of catching up this week, James is the half-brother of Jesus, the little brother of Jesus. And, and, and James watched Jesus grow up. He watched him perform miracles. He thought he was a little crazy. Uh, he was part of a family intervention where they basically tried to rescue Jesus from himself because he was going to get himself kid, killed, which ultimately he did. And James, up until the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But then Jesus was resurrected. He came to life. And then James, he believed, right? I mean, that's something that's pretty hard to fake is your own resurrection. And so James is like, well, that's a pretty big deal. And he goes from doubter to martyr, gives his life for his faith 
in Jesus. And we began last week uh, as James talks about this, this young church of early believers and how they're dealing with these trials and these tribulations and they're being persecuted for their faith. And, and we said this, that pain never comes without temptation and every temptation is a test. That whenever you deal with pain, there's a temptation in that pain and, and uh, a lot of what's inside comes out as we heard in that testimony, right? She said, she said hey, they say that what's on the inside uh, is, is shown on the outside. And that is absolutely the truth, that who you are starts to come out, especially in seasons of trial, turmoil, and pain. And so that's kind of what we're extending the conversation this week, talking about those tests and those temptations here today. So um, does anybody here like ice cream? Anybody? Any ice cream lover? Do you know that Alaska consumes more ice cream per capita than any other state in the United States? We love our ice cream in in Alaska, and my daughter, my middle daughter, Avriana, she just turned 12, and so we planned a little party for her. She invited like 12 of her little friends over, and we were like, what do we do to celebrate Avriana? And the idea came up, we were going to rent her a limousine. So that's what we did. We got on the phone. We've never rented a limousine before, and we're like, do you pick us up at the house? And the guy's like, no, we pick you up at Walmart. I'm like, no, we come to your house, and we'll, we'll, we'll you know, take you around town. And, and he, so they showed up, and, and the first stop was uh, our favorite place to go as a family, Cold Stone's Ice Cream. Um, and it was great. So we, we load all the little girls in. And my kids, you know, we, we've gone there a bunch of times. But there's one little girl in the group, and she was standing back, and she was like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, hey, sweetie, do you need some help? And she's like, I've never been here before. And I was like, oh, I'm going to call your parents right now. You are failing as a parent. I've never been here before. And I'm like, oh, sweetie, let me show you the way. And, and so she's looking at all the things, and her eyes are kind of glazing over. And I'm like, well, this would be pretty good. I like the cake batter ice cream, cake batter with, with Nestle Crunch. That's my go-to uh, if I can get it. So, uh, so I was like, oh, this is a good option. She goes, thank you. That, that sounds really good. She goes, well, what size do I get? Do I get a small, a medium, or a large? And I'm like, oh, no, honey. That's not how we do it at Cold Stones. There is no small, medium, and large. And so, in fact, I went over there this week and got the different sizes for you here. Uh, and and, and so I know you guys are coffee fans. And so, the small is called the. The Like It, right. Yeah, you guys got it, right? So, the small is called the Like It. The, the, the medium is called the. Wow, you're getting louder. Okay, so. And then, let's say that you show up and, and you're like, it's been, it's been a week, right? It's been a serious week. I need to feel better about myself. I need some sugar. Uh, and, and so then, then maybe you'll just go for it and you'll order these. Say it together. Yeah. Holy cow, you guys are... Oh man, you do consume some ice cream. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I get it. COVID's been hard on us all. Treatment with a little bit of ice cream. No, it's interesting the way that they named these things, isn't it? Like they, they named them based on like, uh, like, like how much you want something, right? Like you kind of liked something and then, then like you, you, you really love something. And then there's this like obsessive, I've got to have this. I cannot go another day without an ice cream. And I want to talk about this a little bit here today in relation to our temptations. Um, have you ever been tempted? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where there was something in front of you, and uh, at first it was sort of like, I kind of like it, and then it was like, no, I kind of love it, and then you got to the point where you're like, I got to have it, and you went for it, 
And, and whenever that happens, there's a, there's a journey that we go on. And, and, and James is going to deal with this because in this group of early, early Christians, uh, first century Christians, there are a lot of temptations. And especially, once again, as they're dealing with pain, pain never comes without temptation. There's always a temptation with uh, your pain. And so to move forward, I want to split every challenging experience that we go through into two parts. So you walked in here, and maybe there's a challenge that you're going through. Maybe there's something that God is teaching you right now. And I want you to think of maybe whatever that challenge is that you're experiencing right now. And I want to split that challenge into two parts. The first question is, what was the trial? And the second part is, what was the temptation? So got that? There's the part that's the trial. There's the part that's the temptation, right? And so consider just cold stones. Going into cold stones was my trial right? My temptation is to eat way more sugar than I need or any human being could possibly need in a lifetime in the God of Habit. That was the temptation. So today, you woke up maybe really tired after a long weekend. You've been out fishing, enjoying the beautiful sunshine. And so the trial was, was you're very tired on Sunday morning. What was the temptation? The temptation was, I'm just going to sleep in, right? I'm just going to stay in bed. I'm going I'm to neglect community, although I know that I need to gather with my, my brothers and my sisters. I need to hear the word of God proclaimed. I need to hear, uh, and hear other people singing and worshiping together with me. The temptation would be to pull yourself out of community and just stay in bed, right? So that's maybe, uh, maybe the temptation. How about this? Your friend buys a brand new truck and you don't need a new truck. That's the trial. The temptation is to get yourself into way more debt than you could ever need or, or to buy something that, that you really don't need to buy uh, when you should be maybe using your finances elsewhere. How about this? You are overwhelmed by life. Classes, kids, deadlines, that's the trial. You're really overwhelmed. It's a really difficult season. The temptation then is to sort of self-medicate and deal with your being overwhelmed and your anxiety by just taking, you know, one more drink when you've already had enough. Or once again, going to some kind of coping mechanism of food or, or, or saying things to your family members that, that you shouldn't say and acting in ways towards, towards others that you shouldn't act because you're just overwhelmed and anxious. Let's get real for a minute. So you, uh, you get on Facebook here tonight, and all of a sudden there's like a little message request, and it's coming from an old boyfriend or old girlfriend from high school, and you're married. And so you see that person, and you're like, oh, I wonder what they're doing, right? And you think to yourself, well, maybe I can just sort of, you know, talk to them. and get. I mean, there's, there's no harm in that, right? Like, and my wife, she doesn't need to hear about this conversation. It's just, a, it's just a little conversation. We've known each other for a lot of years. And then you start to spark up a little more conversation, so this is the trial, right? The temptation then is to seek to have your needs fulfilled by another man or another woman that is not your spouse. So you see there's in all of life, there is the trial and there is the temptation. So the next question is, well, where do these trials come from? Is my life just sort of happening? Is it just sort of running? Where do these trials come from? First Peter 4.15 says this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So is there, there's a, a certain kind of suffering or trial that you're going through that's happening because you're being stupid, right? 
I'm being stupid. When we act stupid, we do things to ourselves. You know, maybe you, you murdered somebody. That's going to create some suffering in your life. You're going to get in trouble for that, right? Uh, you've stolen something. You might go to prison. You might get fined, whatever it is. You've done something evil. You, a meddler, you're getting into other people's business when you got no business in their business, right? And then your life gets difficult. And, and in the end, that trial, where's it come from? It comes from you. It comes from me. It's because I'm doing things, and, and this is how sin works, by the way. Uh, sin is, is anything that is, that is the opposite of what God says is best. Anytime we reject what God says is best, there is sin, and sin has its own consequences just kind of wired in. This is how God created the world, right? It, it, is that it was created to have no sin, and so then there's sin, and this is a, a distortion of what God says is good and right and true for you. And in that sin is going to be a consequence, a problem, a trial that's wired in with your sin. And so, uh, once again, the reason God wants us to resist temptation and resist sin is because he loves us. You have to understand this, is that anytime we talk about sin, we talk about what God doesn't want for your life, it's because he doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want you to feel the burn and the pain and the trial that comes from our sin. And so, Sometimes we're just being idiots, right? Amen? Anybody been an idiot this week? A couple of you. Sweet. All right, we're being honest in church. Verse 16, he goes on and says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, note that, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Okay, so there's a, a suffering that comes from our behavior, our, our bad behavior. Then there's a suffering that comes from being a Christ follower, and that kind of suffering is actually intended to teach us to worship. Praise God for that. I mean, maybe you're reading that and you're like, that sounds like bad news. It's actually not. It's actually showing you that there is a purpose in the suffering, in the struggle, in the trial. That God is doing something through it. And he's actually, he's actually uh, implementing this in your life to teach you how to worship. Because we know that it's easy to worship when life's perfect, Right? We know, God, you're so good. I'm on the lake. My kids are awesome. My job is great. The bank account's full. Man, God is good. It's a little harder to worship when things are not going well, when the relationship's falling apart, when the family member um, is doing things that you, you, you don't want them to do, that's hurting themselves. Whatever it is that's going on, it's harder to worship in those moments. 1 Peter four nineteen. Therefore, let those who suffer according to what? God's will. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I love this. Peter is teaching what these, uh, these early believers would have need, needed to hear, which is that uh, there's a suffering that happens according to God's will. There, there, there's a suffering that happens because God is actually causing this to happen. And when it happens, your job in that moment, really the only rational thing to do is to entrust your soul to God and say, God, I'm all yours. I need you. I want, I want to trust in you right now. I need your help. And so, again, where do the trials come from? Here's what this text means, is that God either allows or arranges our trials. He's, he, all, all of our, none of your trials uh, are a surprise to God, right? Amen to that. When, when bad stuff happens in my life, God's not like, oh, man, how's he going to get through that? Didn't see that one coming, Right? You never want a God that didn't see it coming, right? I don't want a God that never saw it coming. I want a God that saw it coming and had a plan from the beginning of time to redeem it. That's the kind of God I want, and that is the kind of God uh, we worship. So God is always either allowing or arranging our 
trials. Maybe he's allowing it because, once again, we've acted in a way that is unhealthy. And so we're actually experiencing the consequences that are hardwired into our trials. You see, if God's involved in our trials, then the good news is there must be some kind of good involved. The good news is there must be some kind of redemption involved because we follow a really good God. And so if he's in, in any way involved, then it must be resulting in something good. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Right? And when he says granted, the, the Greek word granted in this text literally means extending favor as an act of grace. I mean, have you ever thought that maybe the trial you're experiencing is an act of God's grace on your life? That he loves you so much that he wants to pull you nearer to his heart. He loves you so much that he knows that the only way that you're going to reach out for God is is through a little bit of struggle, through a little bit of difficulty. That's been true in my life. I'm sure it has been true in yours as well. And so that's the trial. Now, what about the temptation? Where does the temptation Come from. This is really what James is talking about in this section that we're getting to here today. So I want to read a, a part of this section, then we're going to bounce around on it at the end. If you have a Bible, open up to James chapter 1, uh, verse 13, is where we're going to kind of uh, root ourselves here this morning. And here's what it says It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So James is dealing with the most natural response whenever we're dealing with something difficult, and it's to do one thing. It's to blame. It's to blame. Have you found yourself in that kind of situation where life's hard, things are difficult, and your first impulse is to blame? We read this in the very beginning, right? God creates man and woman. They're in the garden. Beautiful harmony between God and man. No sin existing. And he says, hey, you can eat all of the fruit of all of the trees, but then there's just this one, right? There's this one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, eat of all the other trees, but don't eat of that tree, he says, or else you will surely die, right? And so they've got this entire garden to hang out in, this beautiful place that God has created for them to exist. And where do Adam and Eve hang out? Right by the tree, right? We're humans. We, we, we never change, do we? We do the same thing, right? We've got all of these opportunities, all of these ways to experience life and joy and peace in this world. And where do we hang out? Right by the tree. Going, man, that looks delicious, doesn't it? Oh, man, it looks, looks really, really good. And then as soon as they eat of the, the fruit, what do they begin to do? Blame, right? They, the most natural thing to do is blame. And so Adam blames, right? He says, he says oh, it was this, this sinful woman, right? It was the woman's fault, the sinful woman. She did it. So he blames her. But then he goes on to say this. He says that you gave me. So not only does Adam blame the woman, he blames God for giving him the woman, right? Some of you married men have done this, right? Like, it was her fault, and it's your fault because you gave her to me, right? Some of you ladies have done the same, right? God, it's your fault for giving me this man. It was the sinful woman. Then when Eve is approached about this, what does she do? The devil made me do it, right? It was the serpent. The serpent tempted me. The devil made me do it. And so once again... This is what's going on in our lives as well. We are all tempted to blame, tempted 
to give away ownership to other people of our mistakes or our situation where we should be going to God and worshiping as we just read. Maybe you know someone like this who will never own their mistakes, right? They never own up. They never apologize. It's never their fault, right? And if you're listening to this here today and you're like, Brian, I'll apologize when I'm wrong. This sermon is for you. You, you, we've all got moments where we've blown it. We've got we've to admit it, but it's our natural impulse to never admit when we're wrong. James 1, 14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own, can we all say this word together? Desire. Lured and enticed by his own, I gotta have it. His own desire. Now, when, when, we, when we've been tempted, and you can think of something you've been tempted towards, it, it, it may be something physical, it might be another person, it might be something sexual, whatever it is, you've got a temptation. There's, once again, a journey we go on, and it starts inside of our hearts and our minds, doesn't it? It begins inside of us. There's this thing that starts to churn up inside of us, and the hard truth is this, uh, we actually enjoy sin. Not forever, but at first, sin can be really fun, Right? Nobody, all you beautiful Christians in the room, sin is not, if you're here and you're like, sin isn't fun, you're probably not sinning right. I mean, sin can be fun sometimes. Let's just admit that. There's an enjoyment in it, and again, it doesn't last forever, but there is an enjoyment in pursuing the lure, whatever it is, the bait that's leading us into something that's going to hurt us. Right now in Alaska, people are fishing. The fish are starting to run, and one thing, if you're a fisherman, uh, that you understand is lures, don't you? And there's just something about a lure. I love a beautiful fishing lure, man. If you've ever seen a big king salmon fishing lure, they're huge. Just this bright, shiny material with a hook on the end of it. And when, when the salmon see that thing, they're just like in a trance, right? They're just like, I've got to have it. I can't help myself. And the same is true for the things in this world that are not going to lead to flourishing in our lives. There's almost like this, I, I got to go after it. I can't help myself. I just really, really want it. And the question is, once again, where does that come from? It comes from our desires. But the problem is there's always a hook at the end, right? Of everything that's baiting us in, there's always a hook at the end. You see, our desires are actually baiting us in to get taken out. They're baiting us in to get us taken out. They want to destroy us. These desires within us are not good desires. And, and this is really important when, as I start to drill this down because um, we all have unhealthy desires. Every single one of us. I don't ha- care how sanctified you think that you are. You have unhealthy desires. I have unhealthy desires. And what's important to understand is that these desires do not make you evil. Okay? You can actually live in holiness and have unhealthy desires. You can live in holiness, not in sin, and go, oh man, I've really got to have it. But then you always have a choice to make. Once again, these desires are where, the, where it begins. It begins in your heart, in your mind, and then you have decisions to make whenever faced with any sort of temptation. You may have a desire for power, yet you can choose to be a servant. You may have a desire to live selfishly, but you can choose to live for the best of others. You may have some kind of sexual desires that aren't healthy for you and don't follow God's design for you, yet you can live in purity. You may have an obsession with money and a desire just to live for more stuff, yet you can live generously, right? And so this is really so key for us to to understand this whole process that we go on because sometimes when we have a desire, what we think is, oh, see, I'm already sinful. I already did it. I already messed up. 
So then what's the next step? We give in, right? When we think we've already blown it, we're like, well, I might as well just eat six of these, right? I already ate one. I might as well just keep on going. You have been there. I'm sure you have, but not just with ice cream. There are other things in life where we're like, man, well, I already did it once. I might as well keep going. I already started walking down that road. God is clearly disappointed in me and frustrated that I don't have pure desires. And so because my desires aren't pure right now, God uh, wants to reject me. He doesn't want anything to do with me because I'm so evil and sinful. So I might as well go try to seek fulfillment elsewhere. Have you ever bought into that trap? Fallen into that where it just got really, really bad. You see, there's two worldviews that I see in this text. The first Uh, worldview, which is from the world, says, if you have a desire, you aren't fully human until you satisfy it. So just go after that desire, whatever it is. Like the best thing that you can do if you feel it is just do it, which is funny because at some point that that isn't true, right? It's like, I feel like murdering you right now. Well, don't do that, right? But, But other feelings, like other emotions, other desires, if you have a desire, you're not human until you fulfill that desire. God says, if you have a desire, I will satisfy it. I will be what you need in those moments. I will be everything you need when you're desiring after things. You see, when we try to satisfy our desires to fully experience our humanity, what we will inevitably end up doing is dehumanizing others. It's, it, it's happened for the entire time of, of humanity, the entire existence of humans. We have always, in our desire to be fully human, ended up dehumanizing others when we try to seek that apart from God. But when God satisfies us, here's the good news. When God is our satisfaction, we are free to explore our desires because they begin and end with him. Like when God is our satisfaction, you can, you can actually freely explore things and go, is, is this something God would have for me? And explore this. And all of a sudden, your desires will begin to align with God's desires because you are not seeking satisfaction from those things. You've already got it from God. So then James goes on and he says, hey, I'm going I'm to explain the process from the like it, the love it, to the gotta have it. I'm going to tell you how this journey goes and I'm going to dissect this moment for you so you can see it happening within your own heart and soul because again, it happens all the time. So he says this in verse 15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, Okay. So he's going to go into this journey telling you about this, like, this thing that's growing inside of you, this desire after the temptation, whatever is in this cup in your life. And he says this desire can actually conceive. To conceive means to give birth. Here's the thing, though, and I, I didn't actually ever realize this until studying this this week, is that between this desire and this conceiving is something that has to happen, Right? I don't think I have to take you back to eighth grade health class to teach you. Between having a baby and the desire after the girl, there's something that happens. Amen, right? There's something that God gave us, right? And he's he's literally, this is what James is saying. I want you to understand this. And I know this seems a little off, but this is exactly what James is saying. He's saying there's a moment where you're like, oh, I kind of like it. And you have a decision to make. Are you going to go after it? And the language he's using in this text is literally that sometimes what we choose to do is we make love to our desires. We have a decision to make. 
We, we literally, we can choose to walk away and go, man, uh, okay, that's, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to do that. I know that's going to be unhealthy. Or we can choose to make love to our desires. And he says that when you do that, when you're like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to eat six of these, right? Because I'm already sinful anyway. And so then you give into those desires. And then he says that when conceived, they give birth to something. And it's not something beautiful. It's something called sin. It's something called death, right? That's what he goes on to say. He says, And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So I want you to think about this in your own life. And I, again, it's a, it's a strange illustration, but it really works when you start to understand it. Is there something that you're like, oh, I'm kind of lusting after that. I kind of want that. And you have a decision to make where you've gone, okay, I'm just going to go for it. I'm literally going to make love with that desire. I'm going to walk down the road. And finally, I'm going I'm to just go for it. I'm going I'm to have it. And ultimately, this thing was conceived. It gave birth to something. And he's, he's literally saying that sin, when it gives birth to something, gives birth to, to the world's ugliest baby, right? And that baby is called death. And it grows up and wants to murder you. So this is how he talks about sin. And this is the journey that we go on when it comes to any sort of sin in our lives. 1 John 2, 17 says it this way. It says, And the world is passing away along with its, say it with me, desires, right? But, this is key, whoever does the will of God abides forever. So in dealing with your temptations, it is literally a life and death decision. You are either choosing to walk towards death or you're choosing to walk away and choose life. Do you want death or do you want life? And, this, and, and there's this journey we go on once again in our minds where we, we convince ourselves that, that the sin is what's going to cause life. We minimize its impact. We think, well, you know, I've done it before. I'm going to do it again. Or, you know, oh, I can just find my way around that. I can just figure it out even though it's not what God wants me to do. We convince ourselves if we, if we can just slow down for a minute that it's going to give us life. And yet we've got a whole track record of the fact that it only brings death. It only brings shame. It only leads to broken relationships. It only leads to us with an unhealthy view of ourselves or an unhealthy view of God. It never brings the life that it promises. That's how you know it's a temptation, is when you finally get it, you are left more hungry than ever. You are not satisfied at all. So what do we do? How do we begin to see these things? I think we need to slow down. I think we need to kind of like experience these moments step by step so that we can actually jump in and, and maybe change the, the direction of this moment. And, and I want you to hear this. Uh, this is really important for you to understand. This could sound a lot like a, like a bit of a moralistic sermon, like God just wants you to do better. I, I want to tell you something that, flat out. You cannot avoid this apart from the work of God in your life. You, you, do, you are not strong enough as a person. You do not have it in you apart from Jesus to reject the things that are the gotta have it things in this world. It's only by the fact that God transforms your heart that you will see these things and go, you know what? I'm not hungry for that anymore because I know what it ultimately leads to. It leads to death in my life. I don't want that. And so that only happens by the power of God. It happens through submitting to his, his work in your life to saying, God, I just need your help. So you're not gonna fix this on your own. And then what's going to happen is I think, and I've seen this in my life, where God will start to work in you, and when you really want him to do this, he's going to slow it down. Um, some of you are sports fans, and one of, the, one of my favorite things when I'm watching a football game is to watch the slow-motion footage, right? Because you can actually see what's going on. If you know me, I'm not really into the sports. I'm not a big sports guy. 
Uh, my wife, she's totally into football, loves it. Uh, she can tell you all the stats. I just kind of glaze over in that conversation. But when I'm watching a game, I never know what to do. It's like I'm just kind of watching. I'm like, hey, oh, everybody's screaming. Oh, I'm going to sit down. Everybody's sitting down. Okay. But then, like, they'll show the slow motion footage, and I'm like, oh, that's what just happened, right? He fumbled the ball. The other guy got the ball, ran to the end zone. Okay, so I, I see it. I see what happened. But I didn't see it in the moment in full speed. I just, I don't have the eyes for that. And some of you are that way, where when it comes to a temptation in your life, you don't see it in full speed. You're just like, how, how, did, even, how did that happen, right? You legitimately don't know how you got from, from, from like it to gotta have it to like, I just, you know, made love to my desire. How did I get there, right? You're just literally not able to see it in the moment. I promise you, God wants to help you to see it. He wants to slow it down. He wants to give you this ability to go like, whoa, okay, this is the journey that my heart goes on. These are the things that I start to lust after that are, that are bringing death to my life. And so James is going to explain a few things, a few root temptations that we fall into. And I think if we can start to notice these things, we'll start to notice a lot of other things. In James 1.6, he says, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, right? For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So the first root temptation when dealing with the day-to-day life is this, to be fostering doubt. James is bringing this together. He's like, you can actually foster doubt. You can build it up in your life. You, you, you can give uh, doubt energy in your life and actually become somebody who doubts more and more. And one thing in any trial that we go through is that we are, we are uh, tempted to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt that what God says is best. To doubt that what we said earlier, that God can satisfy us in every single way. Now, when you think about doubt, you might think of just like an emotion or a feeling. But when the Bible talks about doubt, it literally means to decide back and forth. Doubt is expressed in the way that you live, right? It's not just an emotion. It's like one day I'm choosing God. The next day I'm choosing the world. One day I'm choosing what's right. The next day I'm choosing what's evil. One day I want what's good for me. The next day I want what's bad for me. This is what it means to be a doubter. It's a back and forth. He calls this person a double-minded person. It's literally like you have two brains, right? And one brain wants to secure the world and, and get life from the world and wants to be fully planted in the world. And the other part of your mind or of your, your brain wants to be planted in heaven, wants to be following God with all of your heart, wants to seek life from Jesus and Jesus alone. And once again, I want you to know that we've all struggled with this. We've all dealt with this. In fact, uh, in Mark 9, 24, there's this father who has this son who has epilepsy. And he goes to, to Jesus and he says, I believe. But then he says, help my unbelief. And I love that moment because this man expresses beautifully what it means to have doubts, but to walk in obedience. He is not a double-minded man because he's choosing to still go to Jesus and ask for help, Right? If he was double-minded, he would have been like, no, Jesus can't do anything. I'm just going to stand at a distance. I'm not, going to, I'm not even going to trust that he's going to do something. But even in his doubts, he chooses to walk in obedience. And so, once again, you're going to have some doubts sometimes, but you don't have to foster them. You don't have to give in to them. You don't have to give them life. You can actually reject those things and move forward. And so, I feel like, I feel like these, these different temptations are like a seed that goes in the ground, right? And they slowly grows up. And so we start to see it grow up in our life, and it's producing death in our life. And so what you have to do is you have to cut the root. You have to cut the root of this thing, this temptation in your life. And so here's the deal. We cut the root of our doubts by living as if what God says 
is true. We choose to live as if what God says is true. Maybe that sounds funny to you. Because you're like, well, of course what God says is true. But I bet if we looked at your life, and, and I know if you looked at mine, you would see that there's parts of my life that reveal that I do not believe what God says is true. Right? I, and, and we can get into every part of our business, and we start to see, okay, uh, sexually, you don't believe that what God says is true. Relationally, you don't believe that what God says is true. Financially, you don't believe that what God says is true. And so the way we cut the root of these doubts is we start to live like what God says is true. I was talking with somebody um, upstairs. Just uh, We have a, have a room that we get together and pray together before service and kind of prepare for the service. And I was talking to somebody in there who was like, how do you build faith in God? And the an- only answer I had was, you just, you just live like what God says is true and you start to see that it is. You just, over time, you're like, oh man, really? God is actually really faithful. When you just choose to, even when you don't feel it, do what's Best. Another temptation James gives us, verse 11. He says, For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So the second temptation is this, living for possessions. This is really a root temptation. Anytime we live for possessions, we'll find ourselves in all kinds of other sins, all kinds of other things that we find ourselves in that we don't want to walk into and He's sort of referencing Ecclesiastes, this idea that we all acquire things and they end up being dust. They end up just rusting away. And at this point in my life, I've started to see this. So I'm 38 years old and uh, I've I've built some things. I love to work with my hands. Built some things out of wood. I built some things out of metal. And at 38, I'm starting to see those things deteriorate. I'm just like, ah, slap another coat of paint on it. But I'm like, oh, that thing's rusting away. And it's funny, I, I know that when I turn... 48 and 58 and 68 and 78, those things will deteriorate more and more. That's just how it works. The things of this world will ultimately pass away. So how do we cut the root of our temptation toward materialism? I think we do it like this. We cut the root of our materialism by believing that all we own will be given away one way or another. Do you know that? Do you know that everything you know will be distributed at some point, either to your family members or to the highest bidder? Everything. Every, and this is interesting. When you realize this, you can always tell somebody who understands this because they live a little different. They, they just have a different way of dealing with their stuff. So um, one of the things I always uh, like to fly back home to see my parents in Cheyenne, Wyoming. When I go back home, my dad's always like, hey, son, come on downstairs, you know. And we go downstairs. That's where my bedroom used to be in my parents' house. And I open up the door, and it's my dad's gun room, which is awesome. I still remember the day that I graduated high school. I opened up my eyes in bed and I saw a measuring tape over my eyes because my dad was like, nothing, just measuring for my reloading bench. And certain, certainly like in a couple days I was moved out, he had the whole place outfitted. I mean, like, come on, give it, a, give it a few minutes. And so anyway, it's this beautiful reloading room. He's got all this stuff in there. And when I go home, I almost always come back to Alaska with a new rifle or a gun or something. He's a great dad. Thanks, dad. Love you. Uh, but I was like, Dad, I, I joke around, I'm like, Dad, when, when you kick the bu- bucket, I'm getting all these things anyway. We're like, why are you doing this? What's the point? And he's like, I just love the experience of giving them to you. And doesn't that make sense? Like, all you have is going to get distributed anyway. And so would you rather enjoy being part of the blessing or just let it happen later? And you can always tell someone who believes this. And so just once again, maybe you're like, I don't believe it. I don't live like that. That's okay. You can choose to. Even in your doubts, even in your waffling, you can choose to live like what God says is true. Verse 16, last one. 
Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The last temptation is simply this, blaming God. What have you been blaming God for? He makes it so clear. He goes, listen, you have to understand that God is part of your trial. He is not part of your temptation. He, he may have initiated your trial. He may be teaching you something. He may be wanting to grow you. He may love you enough to walk you through something difficult, but he does not want to tempt you. It is not God that's tempting you. If there's temptation, it's coming from you. It's coming from some kind of evil inside of you, or it's not coming from the enemy himself. We do have a, an enemy, and the Bible calls him the deceiver, the tempter, the liar. That's who he is. And so he does lie to us and want to walk us into things that are not good for us. And so one of the root temptations is that we would blame God and say, God, you gave me this desire. It's your fault. So if you put it in me, then I must go after it. And the truth is, if you desire after sin, it did not come from God. Because he loves you too much. Back to the first part, right? A lot of churches don't talk about sin anymore. But we talk about sin because, again, sin is death. He said that earlier. You go from the like it to the love it to the gotta have it, and all, all of a sudden it's, it's death in your life. The only reason God says, don't do that, my beloved child, my beloved daughter or son, is because I love you so much, I don't like to see you destroy yourself. And if you're a parent in this room, you know what that feels like. See your child do something that you know is going to destroy them. So how do we deal with this growing desire to blame? I think it's simply that we cut the root of blaming God by taking ownership of the evil in our lives and giving him credit for the good. I think a lot of times we are skeptical of God and not skeptical of ourselves. We need to flip that around. We need to be a little more skeptical of our desires and more faithful and trusting in God and believe that, you know, ultimately, if there's evil in the world, evil in my life, it, it probably comes from me, right? And again, even with the tempter, even with, with what Satan brings into the world, right? Satan was, was tempting Eve and saying, oh, you can be like God, and yet she was made in the image of God. She was already like God. She had a decision to make. She did not have to give in to the temptation. Ultimately, we have no one to blame but ourselves, to cast ourselves at the feet of Jesus, to say, God, give me mercy. And I promise you, if you are humble enough to do that, God will lift your face up and say, I love you. I want to heal you. He will give you the grace you need. I love that Paul talks about that. He talks about how he has this thorn in his flesh that torments him, this thing that he can't seem to fix in his life. But then he says, God's grace is sufficient in my weakness. His strength is literally made perfect when I am weak. And so if you want to see the strength of God, come to him in your weakness. Come to him in your temptation. Come to him in those moments where you're just like, I can't do it. So ask yourself this question. What stage are you in today? Are you, are, are you in the like it stage with something? You're flirting with something that wants to kill you. You're like, it's not a big deal. It's just, it's not a problem. And yet you know in your heart that it's something that isn't honoring God. It's not obeying God. It's not, it's not loving others. Have you moved on to, to love it, right? Have you found yourself making love to these desires? Where you're like, I just, I give into it and then I just go nuts with it for a few days. I just binge on this desire, whatever it may be. And then I just come back to God and I look back and I just see a trail of death behind me. Maybe you've moved forward and it's just like, it's an obsession in your life. And you've fully given in. It's not a back and forth anymore, but you've said, you know what? Um, I'm obsessed with it. 
It's something that I need to survive. And yet God is saying, all you need is me to survive. I will satisfy you. I will give you what you need. So my prayer for us as a church family is that we could slow down this week. We could see things for what they are, that we could be honest about our own hearts and go, sometimes I just, I want to rationalize sin in my life, which literally is a desire to rationalize death in our life. To say, God, I don't want any of you. And again, you might hear this and go, man, where's the grace? The grace is this. The grace is seen in the moment of obedience. The grace is seen where where you find yourself in a moment where you're like, man, God, I don't want it. I'm going to reject that. And that's putting yourself in just a, a place where God can pour out his grace on you, where you can experience his love all the more. So if you would, grab your action card real quick. This is just something we do as a church family. You can tear this off the bottom. Hey, good news. Let's celebrate this. Fifteen people said yes to Jesus last week. We celebrate that. Just awesome. Just praise God that for, if you're one of those 15, that's just huge. We want to help you take your next step. And maybe today you're just like, you know what? Honestly, um, the reason I give in to temptation is because I, I don't really have a relationship with God. I don't trust God. And so maybe you want to ask God to be your father today. And believe that he is a loving father that wants to help you, wants to heal you, and make you whole. So if that's your first step, I want you to just check that box. Again, we're going to just drop these in the basket on the way out. And um, all we're going to do is text you some encouragement this week. That's all. Maybe you need to uh, get some information about baptism. Maybe part of your temptation to go after the God of habit is that you've never publicly declared that you are a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're holding out on that because you secretly want to be able to come back to this. Did that just get too real? I mean, you secretly want to be able to come back to this. So you're like, I don't want to go public with my faith because I, I just don't want, to, I don't want to be fully in. And so maybe, maybe going public with your faith would be a step towards saying, God, I am all in with you. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to do this perfect, but it, it certainly means that I want your grace when I blow it. And so maybe that's you. Just, if you want some information, we'd love to, to help you with that. We do baptism every month at ACF. Maybe you want to choose to live as if God is true. And, and today you're like, okay, I know that area of my life that I have uh, actually been doubting and fostering doubt. And I want to just choose. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see if God is true. I'm going to see if he'd be faithful in that area. Maybe you need to begin living generously. Is that you today? That's just, again, Jesus talks a ton about our, our, our material possessions because it's just it's something that has our heart. Literally says, hey, where your money goes there, your heart goes also. So, uh, put your money where you want your love to be, I guess. So maybe today you just, uh, you want to begin to live generously, whatever that looks like for you in your life. But I'd encourage you, just check one of those boxes and we'd love to pray for you this week. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us as we close. We're going to worship together here today. Father, thank you so much that uh, you do meet us in our temptations. And Father, we stand together um, as, a, as a body of believers all fully guilty apart from the blood of Christ. God, we are guilty of giving in to sin, of not just messing up once in a while, but even fully diving into things that we know will ultimately steal life from us. Things that want to bring forth death in our families' lives, our friends' lives, our spouses' lives. And God, so we just confess that together, Father, and ask for your forgiveness. God, would you forgive us for, um, for not believing you? God, we just trust that when we do that, when we ask for your forgiveness, Father, that you lavish it upon us. You are quick to forgive, Father. We are not, but you are. God, we also believe that in forgiveness, you, uh, you want to make us healthy. 
You don't want to leave us in our sin, but you actually want to give us wholeness and, and, and tools to move forward. So, God, I pray this week with the thing that each of us have had in our mind this morning, you would help us to slow down. Could you give us slow motion footage of what we do in the way that we think? God, could you show us the, the, the mindsets and the thought processes that we've, we've just kind of gotten used to, God? Would you literally rewire our brains so that we might love the things that you love? God, we want life. We want you. And yet we can't do it alone, God. So we just, we confess today, God, that apart from your spirit, we can do none of this. Apart from your spirit, all we can do is sin. It's all we want. But by the power of your spirit in our lives, Father, we can overcome sin, we can choose righteousness, and we can bring life to the dying in this world around us. God, I pray that we would do that. We love you, Jesus. We pray for your grace in in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.